Chinese painting has a historical tradition of relating the deeds and acts of the great painters in order to illustrate their particular styles. Some of the legends border on the fantastic, underlining the sacred or magical role that the Chinese attribute to painting. I shall cite a few from among the most famous of these. These can help us both to familiarize ourselves with some of the great painters and to penetrate into the secrets of the Chinese pictorial art. Zhuangzi, the great Taoist philosopher of the 2nd century BCE, tells of Prince Yuan of the Song Dynasty, who indicated his desire to have a beautiful picture. Many painters presented themselves, and after receiving instructions, they all bowed respectfully and remained on the spot licking their brushes and grinding their ink. There were so many artists that half of them had to stay outside. One painter arrived after the appointed time, unhurried and completely at ease. Having received the instructions and bowed, he did not stay, but withdrew to his house. The prince sent someone to see what he was doing. Before beginning work, he had taken off his jacket and, new to the waist, had settled down in cross-legged posture. There is a real painter, said the prince. That's the one I've got to have. Changsun Yu of the Northern and Southern Dynasties was painting four giant dragons on the walls of the Anluo Temple of Nanking. The dragons had no eyes. To those who asked the reason for this, the painter replied, If I gave these dragons eyes, they would fly away. The people, not believing him, accused him of fraud. At their insistence, the painter consented to give a demonstration. Hardly had he finished painting in the eyes of the two of the dragons when a deafening thunderclap was heard. The walls cracked, allowing the two dragons to escape in a rush of flight. When calm returned, it was observed that nothing remained on the walls but the two dragons without eyes. Ku Kai-chi, the celebrated painter of the Qin dynasty, fell in love with a girl from the neighboring house. The girl refused his advances. Out of spite, Ku painted the girl on the wall of his room and planted a needle in the heart, place where the heart was. The girl fell sick, the victim of a strange pain in her heart. She was not healed until the painter, yielding to her supplications, pulled the needle out. Zhang Sao Shi of the Tang period came back to life after having tasted death. From that time on, he excelled in depicting scenes of hell. It was said that what he painted did not spring from his imagination at all. It was actual eyewitness work. During the era of Kai Yuan in the Tang Dynasty, General Pei, who had just lost his mother, asked the great painter Wu Caozu to paint some figures of gods at Tianqing Temple to protect the soul of the deceased. 
Wu asked the general to give a vivid demonstration embodying the image of the power of the gods face to face with the demons. Removing his mourning garb and donning his battle dress, the general mounted his horse and executed a sword dance at a gallop. His superb carriage and his lightning-like gestures stupefied the thousands of people who had come to witness the scene. Inspired and exalted, the painter removed his clothes and began to paint, irresistibly attracted as if in a trance. The air vibrated in sympathy with his brush strokes. When the moment came to add the halo above the head of each god, the painter, with a single movement, drew a perfect circle. The crowd, overcome, burst into cries of admiration. Emperor Suang, Suang Tsong was nostalgic for the valley of the Chaoling River. He sent to the region the great realist landscape painter Li Su Sun and Wu Tao Tzu. On their return, they were to reproduce scenes from the area on the walls of the Emperor Ta Tong Palace. Li returned, loaded with documents and sketches, and spent several months executing his picture. As for Wu, he returned empty-handed. To my emperor's astonishment, Wu replied, It's all there in my heart. Setting to work, in a few days he created a masterpiece. Li Su Sung was also given the task of painting the folding screens of the palace. He depicted on them scenes of mountains and waters that earned the admiration of all. However, one day the emperor complained to the painter, The waterfalls you have painted are too noisy. They are keeping me from sleeping. Lu Lin Cha studied painting with Wu Tao Tzu but he despaired of ever being able to possess the art of his master. Commissioned to execute the frescoes in the Chuangyan Temple, Lu attempted to equal the excellence of the frescoes that Wu had done in Tangqi Temple. One day, Wu came by chance into Chuangyan Temple and saw the frescoes by his former disciple. He burst into cries of admiration mixed with fright. This painter was very much my inferior. In these frescoes, he has become my equal. But he has entirely exhausted his creative force in them. Indeed, Lu died shortly thereafter. Just as his contemporary, the poet Li Po, had drowned in a river, trying to catch hold of the reflection of the moon, about whose beauty he had so often sung. Legend recounts that Wu Tao Tzu disappeared into the midst of a landscape he had just painted. Han Kun, the celebrated Tang painter of horses, received a visit one evening from a man dressed in red. The man said, I am here on behalf of the spirits. You are requested to paint an excellent courser that they will be needing. Han Kun obeyed. He made a sketch of a fantastic horse 
and then painted a picture based on it on a large sheet of paper. He burned the painting and gave the ashes to the messenger, who then disappeared. Some years later, Han ran into a veterinarian friend of his, who told him about having taken care of a strange horse. When he saw the horse, Han exclaimed, but that's the one I painted. An instant later, the horse crumpled to the ground as though fainting. The veterinarian then discovered a defect in the formation of one of the horse's legs. Troubled, Han returned home. He got out the old sketch and was stupefied to see that in the painting, the horse's right leg, his brush had slipped. Mi Fu of the Song period was at Wu Wei when he one day saw a giant rock of extravagant ugliness. Overcome by emotion, he put on his ceremonial garb and prostrated to the rock, calling it his dear older brother. In his Tu Hua Chen Wen Shu, Kuo Su described his father Kuo Su's way of painting. When he was about to paint, he sat down near a bright window. I would put his table in order, light some incense, and carefully arrange his ink and brushes in front of him. After that, he washed his hands as though he were about to receive a distinguished guest. He remained silent for a long time in order to calm his mind and collect his thoughts. Only when he was in possession of a precise vision would he begin to paint. He often spoke of his persistent fear of finding himself in front of his own work with a distracted mind. Wang Mo, the vagabond painter of the Tang period, was known for his bouts of drunkenness. He drank abundantly before undertaking a painting. Once drunk, he set to painting in the splattered ink style. Laughing and singing, he would gesture with both his hands and feet. He would even sometimes dip his long hair in the ink and use it for a brush. Under his magical brush, mountains, trees, rocks, clouds, and other shapes would appear as if by enchantment. Some of them brilliant, some of them ethereal. They seem to be direct emanations of creation itself. The, the finished picture was always so perfectly true that one had the impression that there was not a single trace of ink there. When he died, Wang Mo's coffin was as light as if it were empty. It is said that his body had been transformed into a cloud. I shall conclude the section by recalling the great painter-poet Wang Wei, who introduced monochrome painting and was the founder of the Southern School. Though his poetry is well known, not one of his pictures has come down to us. Precisely because of this absence, his successors attempted to recreate Wang Wei's evocatively titled pictures. Because he wrote, and because others imagined his painting, Wang created a dream space the very type of space towards which Chinese painting reaches.
The following is the complete text of a letter that Wang wrote from his retreat to his poet friend Peng Ti, a letter that clearly reflects a sensibility infused with simplicity, sympathy, and interior vision. At the end of this twelfth twelfth month, the weather remains clear and pleasant. I wanted to signal you to come over to my mountain, but knowing you to be deeply immersed in the classics, I restrained myself. Then I headed for the hills, and went to the Temple of Mercy. After a frugal meal with the monks, I again departed. North of Black Spring, which I crossed, the rising moon lit up the entire countryside. I climbed up Huatsu Hill, from where I could see the waters of Wangchuan River, moving in waves under the moonlight. A few distant fires shone like sparks through the trees of the forest. Nearby, at the end of the village lanes, the barking of dogs resounded like a leopard's cries. The noise of the villagers grinding their rice alternated with the sound of bells. By my side, the young servant remains silent. Sitting by myself, I let myself be overcome. By the memory of those delicious moments when we walked together, hand in hand, on the paths along the river, composing poems. If only the spring would come, bringing the trees and plants on the mountainside to blossom. The graceful fish wriggle in the water, and the gulls fly off with a rapid beating of wings. The pheasants sing at dawn at the edge of the fields, whose grass still glistens with dew. Ah,、uh, the time will not be long. You will come enjoy this countryside with me, won't you? You, with a spirit so elevated and subtle, you will grasp its mysterious beauty. If that were not true, I would not have dared to annoy you with such a futile invitation. I'm taking advantage of the passing by of a porter of medicinal plants to get this message to you, the mountain hermit Wang Wei. Part One: Chinese Painting and the Notion of Emptiness. Historical background. In attempting to sort out the elements of a Chinese semiology, one repeatedly encounters a notion that is central but often neglected. Neglected, perhaps, because it is central. The notion of emptiness is no less essential in the system of Chinese thought. Than the complementary ideas of yin and yang, emptiness emerges as pivotal to the way the Chinese conceive the universe. In addition to its philosophical and religious content, emptiness governs the mechanism of a whole group of disciplines of meaning: painting, poetry, music, theater, and that of another group of disciplines connected with a physiological domain. Representation of the human body, the gymnastic practice of Tai Chi, Chuan, acupuncture, and so forth. Emptiness also plays a fundamental role in military science, the martial arts, and in the art of cooking. In the Chinese perspective, emptiness is not, as one might suppose, something vague or non-existent. It is dynamic and active. Linked with the idea of vital breaths, 
and with the principle of the alternation of yin and yang, it is the preeminent site of transformation, the place where fullness can attain its whole measure. Emptiness introduces discontinu discontinuity and reversibility into a given system, and thus permits the elements composing the system to transcend rigid opposition and one-sided development. At the same time, emptiness offers human beings the possibility of approaching the universe at the level of totality. Though it is essential in Chinese thought, the notion of emptiness has never been systematically studied in its application to the practical disciplines. There are without doubt numerous texts in which emptiness is often mentioned, but it is presented as a natural entity without need of definition. The result is that its status and its function remain extremely ill-defined. In spite of this lacuna, there exists an actual implicit tradition to which everyone refers. In the realm of art, a Chinese person, whether an artist or merely an amateur, intuitively accepts emptiness as a basic principle. Even in the absence of profound knowledge, let us take, for example, primary forms such as music, poetry, and painting. Without going into details, we can say that in musical interpretations, emptiness is rendered not only by certain syncopated rhythms, but above all by silence. The silence is not a mechanically calculated quantity. Breaking up continuous development, it creates a space that enables the sounds to transcend themselves and accede to a kind of res resonance beyond the resonances. In poetry, emptiness is introduced by suppressing certain words with purely grammatical functions, which are in fact called empty words, and by the use in the middle of a poem of an original form known as parallelism. Through the discontinuity and reversibility, they affect within the linear and temporal progression of language. These techniques reveal the desire of the poet to create a relationship of open reciprocity between the subject and the objective world, thus transforming lived time into living space. It is, however, in painting that emptiness is manifested in the most visible and complete way. In certain pictures of the Song and Yuan periods, we observe that emptiness, the unpainted area, may occupy as much as two-thirds of the canvas. Confronted by pictures like these, even an innocent onlooker vaguely feels that emptiness is a presence that is not inert, a presence that is pervaded by breaths that connect the visible world to an invisible one. Even within the visible world, the painted area, Emptiness, represented by clouds, circulates between mountains and waters, which constitute its two poles. The cloud, born from its condensation of water, but also taking on the forms of the mountain, 
is an intermediary form between the two apparently antinomic poles, drawing the two, mountain, water, into a process of reciprocal becoming. In the Chinese perspective, without emptiness between them, mountain and water would stand in a relationship of rigid opposition and thus be static. Each would oppose the other and through this opposition be confirmed in its definite status. With emptiness as intermediary, the painter creates the impression that the mountain could virtually enter the emptiness and melt down into waves, and that inversely, the water, by way of the emptiness, could rise up into a mountain. As a result, mountain and water are no longer perceived as partial elements opposed and frozen, but as embodiments of the dynamic law of the real. Because of the disruption of the linear perspective, by emptiness within the pictorial realm, we once again note this relationship of reciprocal becoming between humans and nature within the picture on one hand, and between the onlooker and the picture as a whole on the other. The examples provided by music, poetry, and especially painting show the active function of emptiness. Far from being a kind of no man's land, that would imply neutralization or compromise, emptiness makes possible the process of interiorization and transformation through which each thing actualizes its sameness and otherness and, in so doing, attains totality. In this sense, Chinese painting is a philosophy in action. It is seen as a sacred discipline because its aim is nothing less than the total fulfillment of the human being, including his or her most unconscious aspect. In his celebrated Li Tai Ming Hua Chi, Cheng Yin Yuan says, painting perfects culture, governs human relations, and explores the mystery of the universe. Its value is equal to that of the six classics, like the rotation of the seasons, it regulates the rhythm of nature and of man. It is for this reason that I have chosen painting as the realm of application in which to study emptiness. It is true that the dichotomy of emptiness and fullness is a notion that is also common in the Western pictorial and plastic arts. However, in what follows, I shall stress the specifically Chinese understanding of emptiness. Before looking into emptiness in painting, we should first examine its philosophical underpinnings. But I want to emphasize the semiotic rather than the purely philosophical nature of the study. This means first, that emptiness will be conceived more as a sign than as a concept. It is a privileged sign because it is precisely through that through which the other elements in a given system define themselves as signs. This necessitates that we focus primarily on the functional role of emptiness. The semiotic approach also means that my analysis will be based on the principal extant texts. 
For each assertion made, I shall make numerous textual citations. But the point of view of a semiologist has to be different from that of an exegete, exegete or a philologist. The philosophy that a painting undertakes to manifest, and the painting itself as the discipline of meaning, have created each other in a cultural context, charged with implicit, even unconscious, intentions. The work of a semiologist is to go beyond the explicit tradition, while avoiding the pitfall of extrapolation. The authenticity of such a labor is guaranteed by an internal analysis, rigorously carried to the limit, that elicits constituent elements and distinguishes levels of observation. Only when this has been done does it become possible to grasp relevant characteristics as well as real codes of functioning. Such a semiotic study, it may be hoped, will be of more than merely academic interest. It should serve to bring out the essential and permanent basic qualities of a culture. At the outset, emptiness was a part of an overall conception that attempted to provide a spiritual and rational explanation of the universe. Later on, in spite of the changes that took place in the overall conception, emptiness remained a primordial element in the Chinese manner of apprehending the objective world. Having become a key for practical life, what emptiness offered was no longer so much an explanation, even though it was born from a fundamental intuition and tried and tested by more than a thousand years of experience, but an understanding piece of wisdom propounding a certain art of life. Emptiness, in correlation with such other notions as vital breaths and yin-yang, is without doubt the most original and the most constant affirmation of a dynamic and holistic vision of life that ever came out of China. In China, it continues to govern the realm of art and such vital disciplines as acupuncture, and Tai Chi Chuan.